0: Okay, so uh, friends, if you've been with us for the past few months, then you know we've been going through the book of Acts. But we've been going through it for a while now and we only have two chapters left to go. But before we kind of knock out and finish the last two chapters, we wanted to take a break from it, okay? And then we'll come back after this break and finish up the last two chapters. And we want to talk about in the next three weeks about a particular issue and topic that Jesus talks the most about really, in his earthly ministry. But for some reason, we just haven't explicitly preached on it here in CCC. Um, And that is the issue of money. Three sermons on money. Over and over again, you see Jesus in the Bible during his earthly ministry, warning his disciples of the power that the love of money can have on them. He warns his disciples to be aware of its ability to grip and drag our hearts down into the mud with a smile. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus talks all about it here in the first passage that we're choosing in this series, found in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. Let me read the passage first, and then we're going to dive right into it, okay? This is God's Word, Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, "'Teacher,' Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he taught to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. toward God. Thus says the Lord. And if you want to keep your Bibles or your liturgies open, we're going to keep referring to this passage throughout the sermon, okay? There's three things, at least, that Jesus talks about in this passage about the love of money. First, how stealthy it is or how quiet, unnoticeable it is. Second, how deceiving it is. And third, lastly, how we can be freed from it. How stealthy it is, how deceiving it is, and how it can be freed from it. Let's start with our first point. How stealthy or quiet or unnoticeable the love of money can be. All right, so let's start by taking a look at the reason of why Jesus even began to teach his disciples about money in the first place in this passage. okay, How did it happen? Well, if you take a look at verse 13 again, you'll see that a man abruptly interrupted Jesus while he was publicly teaching and and this man said to jesus teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance he has with me now what's going on here well this is most likely a younger brother who's asking jesus to tell his older brother to share the inheritance that his older brother got from their father with him you see because back then like many cultures today the oldest son is the one who would get all the father's inheritance not not the younger siblings. So there's this disgruntled younger brother who interrupted Jesus in the middle of his lesson and asked him, tell my older brother to share some of his inheritance with me. Let's call this the case of a stingy older brother. Okay? And how did Jesus respond to this request? He said, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, take care, be on guard against all covetousness. Now, this is really interesting because in no other place do you see Jesus talking about a particular sin and then say, take care, be on the lookout, be on guard, watch out for it. He never does. Now, let's think about that. Why not? Why is that? It can't be because greed is a sin that's worse than other sins, right? There are tons of other sins that's just as bad, if not worse than greed, like murder, for example. I don't know, right? But yet, this is the only time Jesus says, be on guard, be on the lookout, watch out. Why is that? It's not because greed is worse than other sins, but it's because greed or covetousness is less noticeable than other sins. It's stealthier. What do I mean? It's interesting, you know, that in the seven years I've pastored here at Covenant City Church, a lot of you guys have come up to me and confessed all kinds of sins. You've come up to me and you've you've said, Tez, I really struggle with lust. Like, I just need help. I keep going back to the same websites. I I just really struggle with it. Many of you have come up to me and said, Tez, I struggle with alcohol. I just, I drink too much, you know, I need help. A lot of you have come up to me and said, Tez, I have really bad anger issues. I just, I really struggle with my temper. So many of you have come up to me and told me all kinds of struggles but I've never had any of you come up to me and say, Tez, I just, I really need help. I just struggle with greed. I just, you know, I'm too stingy. I never feel like I have enough when really I do. But you know, I don't feel like I ever do. I really should give more and I can I just, I don't. I'm greedy. I've never had anyone come up to me and say that. Nor have I ever said that to my pastors in the past. Why is that? Do none of us struggle with it? You see, watch out. Be on the lookout. Be on guard. It's quiet. It's stealthy. It's unnoticeable. It can seep so deep in your heart before you've even noticed it. But it's not completely silent. There are signs of it in your life that you can pick up on when greed's nearby. Okay, There are many of them, but our passage here, Jesus gives us two of those signs in verse 13. One warning sign that tells you greed's nearby is when you start to feel that a lot of your earthly relationships becoming more and more transactional. What do I mean by that? Each of us here have a lot of relationships right? And we have different categories for different people in our lives. You have parents, you have friends, you have best friend, you have siblings, you have a spouse, you have children, you have a boss, you have employees, you know, there's all different people that fall into all different categories in your life. But when greed's nearby, what it does is this, it starts to categorize people in your life under only two categories. It makes you to start to dichotomize the world under two different subheadings. You either categorize people as someone who can add or take away from your net worth. That's the only way you see people. And the example here is well with these two brothers, these siblings, they're their family. But now all they view each other as is merely either a prospect or a threat to their net worth. Greed makes you dichotomize the world under these two consumeristic categories. Okay? Like that did to the brothers here. But not only that, the second thing that greed does, it doesn't only mess up your horizontal relationships. What it also does is it messes up your vertical relationship. Where do we see that in the passage? Well, we see that in the way that Jesus responded to this younger brother. When the younger brother, in verse 13, asked Jesus to be the judge between him and his older brother, right? Judge between us. Be the arbitrator between us. Jesus' response was very Interesting. He said in verse 15, man, who made me judge over you? And if you know your Bibles, what's your answer? Your answer would be, "Um, you did? (laughs) You're Jesus. You're the God of the universe. Of course you're judge over us. What do you mean you're not judge over us? Judge us right now. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not a judge over you. And that's confusing, isn't it? But here's the thing. The reason why Jesus said, I'm not the judge over you, is because he knew that the kind of judge the younger brother wanted Jesus to be is not the kind of judge that Jesus is. The younger brother wanted Jesus to be the kind of judge that can personally help his net worth. The younger brother wanted Jesus to be a personal lawyer. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not not the kind of judge I am. I'm not here to make you richer. I'm going to come to judge other things. You see, greed, it messes with your horizontal relationships and also messes with your vertical one, with God. And look, I'm not making excuses for this younger brother, but, you know, if you think about it, also, poor younger brother, <laughs> right? He's, he's walking around, he's running around, just disappointed at everything. His greed has gripped him so much, he's just always disappointed. He's disappointed at his older brother for not giving him what he wants, He's disappointed at Jesus for not giving him what he wants. And it's like greed has this way to just make us constantly disappointed at everyone around us, including God. They're not giving me what we want. He's not giving me what I want. See, one sign that greed's nearby is that you are just never satisfied and you're always disappointed at everything and everyone around you, and you become Cynical. Cynicism is the odor of greed. If you smell it, it's around. Okay? It's dangerous. Be on the lookout. Watch out. But, Jesus continues here, greed's also dangerous, not only because it's stealthy and because it's unnoticeable, but also because of how deceiving it is, which leads us to our second point. The problem, Jesus continues to explain here, is not only that greed is hard to find, it's really hard to find, but once you find it, it'll give you an offer that you can't refuse. It will. What offer? Greed will offer you a rest for your soul. Where do we see that in the passage? Let's take a look at verses 16 to 19. Jesus told a parable. Saying, The land of the rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for you many years. Relax, eat, Drink, be merry. Soul, relax. Let me ask you this When's the last time your soul relaxed? I'm not asking you when the last time your body relaxed. It's easy to make your body relaxed, you know, go get a massage then go home and watch Netflix for four hours with a bucket of ice cream in your hand, which sounds pretty good right about now, your body will relax. Unless you're watching Train to Busan or something, then you'll be stressed out. I'm not asking when the last time your body relaxed. I'm asking when's the last time your soul relaxed? You can sleep on the most expensive tempur bed known to man and still be tossed and turned by anxiety. You can be lounging in a beach in Bali, yet have your soul flooded with thoughts that did not ask for permission before it entered. It's really hard to relax your soul, isn't it? Don't worry, says greed. Let me help you out. Here's what you gotta do. Make tons of money and then store up all your goods in tons of different barns. Don't give it away. Store it up. Just keep making more and more barns, more and more resources. Store it up. Then, once you have enough, your soul will relax. That's an offer that's really hard to refuse, isn't it? But it's a lie. Where is the lie? The rich man in this parable didn't end up relaxing. He actually got a lot busier. He had to tear down and make tons of other barns to fill up his other riches in. He, he didn't relax. It didn't give him what he wanted. Look, he, here's, not, here's what I'm not saying. Okay? I'm not saying that owning more barns don't relieve us in some way from some anxieties. Of course it does. I'm not so naive to say that it doesn't. If you got tons of money, you're relieved, okay, from different kinds of anxieties, of course. But here's what I'm saying. Those anxieties, they're not deleted. They're just replaced. They're replaced with having to build more barns. Here's an example. When CCC had very little members, okay, and therefore we had very little money, we had different kind of anxieties to battle. Okay, who's going to serve in what ministry, right? Will there be enough leaders to sustain us? Will we have enough money to sustain us? And now we have a lot more people and a lot more resources. But you see, more people means more systems to make and manage. More people means a bigger rent space, you know, a bigger space to rent, more, more staff to hire, more expectations and concerns and criticisms to deal with, which I take with joy and pleasure. More conflicts to resolve more planning center stuff to do, (laughs) a children's ministry that's starting to turn into a tiny school. And it's like, look, I'm a lot anxious now than I was six years ago (laughs) when CCC was smaller. I have more white hair than a 36-year-old should have. I'm not saying, therefore, the growth of CCC is a bad thing. Of course it's not. God's doing things through it, and great. We're blessed by it. It's a great thing. All I'm saying is that these barns didn't do what I thought they would. It didn't do what I thought they would. I I thought to myself, six years in the future, when things are set, I'll be at peace, you know? (laughs) You fool. Jesus says in verse 20, you fool. All you've been doing is replacing one type of anxiety with another for years and calling it peace. What if in the middle of this wild goose chase... Your soul is required of you, Jesus says in verse 20. Then what? You're a slave to money, then you die, as one of my favorite songs puts it. You're a slave to money, then you die. Then the things you prepared, whose will they be? What will it give you? Now, I want to address a response that I think is is really thick in in our culture today, a response that I think we have to Jesus' question here. Whose will they be? Here's, I think, the response that people give here. Jesus, we say, these barns will be for my children. I'm gonna pass them on. That's why I'm building all these barns. It's not for me, it's for my children so I can pass them down. And look, I wanna be really sensitive here, okay? Because I too have benefited from the generosity of my parents. So I I wanna be sensitive. I'm not saying that it's wrong to pass down your barns to your kids. It's good. Do that. All I'm saying is watch out. Be on guard. That as you pass down those barns to your children, you don't also pass down greed's lie with it. As a parent, I got to be really honest with myself greed's really tricky you know i gotta be on guard so that i don't end up using my children as an excuse for my own greed just watch out that's all i'm saying be on the lookout because it'll eat them alive like it's eating me if, if, if the barns that I pass down to my children come with a side of greed, it won't relax their souls. But instead, like the younger brother in the story, it's going to mess up their earthly relationships. It's going to make them want to reduce Jesus to a personal lawyer. I don't want that for them. I don't want my kids to be cynical and lonely people who view Jesus as an ATM. That's a miserable life. As you pass them down, just watch out, whether or not greed's nearby. And what if, what if, what you ultimately want to pass down to your children in order for them to attain a true rest of soul, aren't these barns? What if there's something else that you can pass down to them, or rather someone else that can give them true peace? Let's go to our last point, our only way out. Our only way out so at the end of the passage jesus does give us an answer and, and we'll get there but before that he first points out one last way as if we don't have enough examples yet one last way of how greed makes us fools look at verse 20 jesus says fool this night your soul your, your soul is required of you and the things you prepared whose will they be so is the one who lays up treasure for himself, let's focus on the last part. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. Who does the foolish person think is the one laying up the treasures here? Well, they think they are. You see, they think they're laying up these treasures. They thought that this whole time they've been the ones that's building up their own kingdoms. You fool, Jesus says. You think that your barns are merely a result of your own hands? Well, of course it is, Tez. You don't know how much I've worked all these years. Yes, I know you did. I worked too all these years. But who gave us the breath and the vitality and the ability to do all this in the first place? Who gave your soul the strength to put in the hours? It's God. And He can stop giving that to you like that at any point, Jesus reminds us here. Has greed dragged us into such darkness? to where we've forgotten who the true conductor of the universe is. As if we come to church on Sunday mornings, right? And God is interested and he's present and he's in control. But then during our office hours from Monday to Friday, he's disinterested, not present, and hands off. Has greed turned us to functional atheists? We weren't the ones who ultimately orchestrated things to where we have what we have, You didn't decide to be born in the family you were born in, to have the education you have. Yes, we worked hard for some of these things, but a lot of it is orchestrated by God, not us. And we think to ourselves, oh, Jesus, why are you trying to take credit away from us? Don't you know how much we've worked for? He's not trying to take credit away from us. By reminding us of God's role in the laying up of our treasures, He's not trying to take credit away. He's trying to give you peace. How? Look, reason with me. If you think that the final sustenance of your body and soul is 100% dependent fully upon your own wit, if you think that the longevity of your body and soul is 100% dependent upon your own strength and your own ability to manipulate events, Well, that's why you're anxious. (laughs) That's why you're anxious. Have you ever been placed in a position at work that you're not qualified to do? Remember what you felt? What'd you feel? You felt anxious. You're not qualified to do this job. It's not you. Jesus isn't trying to take credit away. He's trying to give you peace. Greed says this you want peace, then forget about God. It's all up to you. You're the final one, you know, to lay up treasures for yourself. Tell this young naive preacher that you won't eat if you don't work. Tell him that prayer does not pay bills. Of course it doesn't pay bills. I'm not saying prayer pays bills. Work, save. All I'm saying is don't work and save in such a way that forgets there's a grand designer of events beyond you that's more powerful than you, and it's really up to him, not your barns. So what you really need to worry about is not making more barns. What you really need to worry about is that you and this ultimate orchestrator are on good terms. That's your final concern. That's what you need to worry about to have peace, which is what Jesus said at the end. So is the, lo- the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich, to have a rich relationship with someone? Well, at the very least, it means that there's trust. There's mutual affection. You know, there's confidence that this person will be there for you when you need him. Are you rich toward God? That's the question. Not how many barns you have. Are you and the one who sits in the control room of the universe on good terms. How you answer that question will directly affect how deeply your soul is able to relax. Now, here's the temptation. You might think, ah, okay. The application is this then. In order for me to attain a rest of soul, then you're telling me that I gotta go to church more i got to tithe more. i got to go to Bible studies more so that I can build up this rich relationship toward God and be in good terms with the one who controls everything to secure my future. That's how I'm going to have peace. It's not. Because, see, if you think like that, that only tells me you're still under greed's spell. Why? Because then you're approaching God in the same exact way that this younger brother here approached Jesus. You're approaching God to make him your kind of personal lawyer you're approaching him to kind of secure your personal uh, uh, future and jesus rebuked the young brother for doing that that's not what i'm here for that's not the solution okay well great what is the solution then how can we be rich toward god and know beyond a shadow of doubt that the one who sits in the control room of the universe will have our back the answer is very ironic It is because as the anxious younger brother here was complaining to Jesus about his stingy older older brother that wouldn't share his inheritance, this is an ironic scene. The younger brother, in his complaint, completely failed to see who it was he was talking to. Who was he talking to? Friends, oftentimes in the Bible, our salvation is described as what? As the receiving of an inheritance, is it not? Ephesians 1, 11. In Christ, we have received an eternal inheritance. First Peter chapter one, through the resurrection of Christ, we have an inheritance that is imperishable. Romans 8, 17, we are fellow what? Heirs with Christ. What can soothe the angst of the younger brother in this story? It's by realizing that the kind of older brother he's longed for is standing right in front of him. It's by realizing the kind of older brother he longs for is standing right in front of him. But this older brother won't only give up his money, And assets. This older brother would give up everything. He'd give up all of his earthly riches. But not only that, he would then climb on a cross and give up his very own life. Why? So that you and I, who are far from God, who are poor towards God, may be rich with him and call him Father and receive an inheritance that is eternal and imperishable. Friends, greed will always have power over your angst unless you constantly behold your true older brother who gave up everything in order to make his father yours it's not all up to you you have a heavenly father through christ i'm not saying be lazy i'm not saying don't work i'm not saying don't put the hours in or don't save. All I'm saying is that as you work and save and put the hours in, remember what Christ has given you through his poverty. He's given you richness toward God. It's not all up to you. Stop believing in greed's lie. Look upon Christ. Then maybe you'll start to think about other ways and how you can use your money instead of just storing them up in more and more barns, but rather perhaps, for the Son and His glory, for the Son who's given up His life so that His Father may be yours, and for the Father who's given up His only Son so that He can embrace you and keep you as His very own child. May the gospel shock our hearts that's been slumbered by greed for the glory of His name. Let's pray. Father, we've all been fooled. Money hasn't made us fools. Our love for it has. Help us now, Father, look back and reorient our lives. Make actual practical applications, if not. And not let this silent killer seep back in tomorrow. Remind us of the gospel of the one who became poor so that we may be rich. Remind us of who has our future held in his hands so that we may now use all of our resources for him and not to believe in the lies of greed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.